We are in 1 Peter chapter 1. Hear the scripture. It says, you are protected by God's power through a faith and a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, and this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, knowing that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though tested by fire, will be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise, glory, and honor. One of my favorite teachers of the last 50 years was a friend and a mentor named R.C. Sproul. And R.C., who passed away two years ago, wrote a monthly column for years and years. And the byword or motto or watchword or battle cry of his monthly devotional statement, exegetical statement, was this, right now counts forever. And I think that's what Peter's saying here. Peter's saying that in the midst of, of, of trials and difficulties that the church is facing and will face in a growing fashion, we know historically in Asia Minor in the years to come, he says, right now counts forever and as you live faithfully as unto the Lord, as people who have been saved by the work of Christ, then you will, on the great day of the second coming of Jesus, hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as Matthew 25 teaches, that will result in praise and glory and honor for the believer. Right now counts forever. And so I think Peter, to encourage faithful living, grace-filled living, Facing into the wind, living says, don't forget, there is a great day coming and you will be acclaimed, embraced by Abba Father as you've lived faithfully as forgiven sinners through the work of the cross. And so he's encouraging faithful living in the midst of very difficult times. This passage says that you've been born again through the great mercies of the living God, the triune God, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to obtain an inheritance that is unflappable, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith. And then he talks about trials and difficulties. And I mentioned that last week. I'm just going to touch on it this week and go forward. But he says, he says God brings these difficulties into our life to, to mature, strengthen, and build us up so that we'll have a platform to proclaim Christ to those around us. He says, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by a multitude of trials, various trials, from what we consider to be not that serious to incredibly serious, from just being socially shunned to being a martyr for the faith. But he does that to the glory of his name. And as you live faithfully, you will receive glory and honor and praise when Christ comes again, as you test the genuineness of our faith. C.S. Lewis, in one of the great comments about trials from the book, The Problem of Pain, says this. I mentioned this last week. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Uh, trials, number one, trials stretch us, mature us, and build us to proclaim Christ. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says this. It's an amazing statement. 
Verse 3, he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So, so Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings as we walk with the Lord and we do these things because it builds character in our lives. And hope, he says, does not disappoint. It gives us a place to stand. It, it weans us. See, see, trials and difficulties wean us from the applause of the world. It weans us from the spirit of the age that says right now counts only now and not forever. There's no forever. Right now is only now. So you grab for all you want. You live for self-gratification, self-authentication, whatever, but you do it right now. And that's why in Luke 21 and verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. You just watch yourselves so, so that the day of the Lord or the day of your death that, that doesn't come upon you like a trap. And it's not only, you know, loose living, it's just the, the cares of the world or even the pleasures of the world that weigh us down or, or, or darken our eyes to eternal reality. So that's why Paul says in Romans 5, and James says in James 1, said, rejoice in difficulties in a fallen world. It's counterintuitive, but that's what Peter says here. So we go to Matthew chapter 10, for example. In Matthew 10, there's this famous discussion with the rich young ruler, and Christ says, one thing you lack. He says, if you want to follow me, give all of your possessions and come and follow me. Really, in other words, I must be the Lord of your bank account. I must be the Lord of your stock portfolio. I must be the Lord of all that you have. And it says that his face fell because he was a man of great wealth. He wasn't willing to part with it. And so he, he walks away, and his, his disciples are standing there. And with great consternation and incredulity, they say this. They said, they said Lord, who can be saved? The disciples were amazed at his words, and Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to, to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. They were boulderized. And they, and they said to him, who, who can be saved? And Jesus said, verse 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. It's not just the rich young ruler. We could change this around and, and say it, it, is, it is hard for someone who is incredibly intelligent, and, and they base their life on their intelligent acumen to, to enter the kingdom of heaven. If that's what they're, it's, it's, it's impossible for someone who is pursuing social recognition, not distancing, but recognition, and wants to have the applause of the world and be on the society page to enter the kingdom of heaven because that is their they're idle. It is, in, it is impossible for someone who is, who is athletic or attractive or whatever to enter the kingdom of heaven if that's what they bank all they are upon. In other words, he says, you must be people who understand that Christ must be first. Therefore, difficulties, trials, the aging process, the 
for lack of a better word, cat calls of the world that belittle you for your faith, wean you from those things that deaden you to the reality of all that God is for us in Jesus. So point number two, to encourage us and to keep our focus, he says, you will receive praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus right now counts forever. Now, if you study this passage and read commentaries about this passage and even other articles about this passage, you're going to come across the statement made by many people, and they say something like this, it is impossible for us to comprehend or understand or accept that at the day of the second coming, the living God in his triune glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will give to mere men and or women praise, glory, and honor. Surely that's a copyist error. Surely Peter meant to say that the Lord will receive praise and glory and honor and not man. Well, the text says very clearly that on the day of the second coming of Jesus, those who have lived faithfully as blood-bought believers and who have built their house on the solid reality of Christ will receive, listen, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. It's, it's mind-boggling. I want you to get hold of that. There will be a great day, and those who live with faithfulness will receive this praise and glory and honor. And I think about a passage in Zephaniah 3, the Old Testament book. In Zephaniah 3, it says, um, says this. The Lord your God is with you in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And you just, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's, that's, that's amazing. So Old Testament, minor prophet Zephaniah, boom, right in the middle. That's what he says. And really the word loud singing means shouts of jubilation. God just doesn't say, yeah, he's mine, she's mine. He, he rejoices over his people with shouts of acclamation and gladness. The same word is used, for example, in Isaiah 49, verse 13, where it talks about the creation. It says, verse 11 says, All my mountains and roads, my highways shall be raised up, and behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west and from the lands abroad. And they will sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into loud singing. So, so the creation has loud singing at the, in the presence of the living God. Shouts of acclamation. That's the same word that's used to describe how God relates to his people. I will exult over you with shouts of loud singing, acclamation. It's an amazing statement. Same word is used again in Isaiah chapter 14. We talks about the Lord coming in power and might. Verse 7. It says, The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into loud singing. So I, I look at this and I go, Do I really, I want you to grasp the fact that, that God rejoices over his people, especially as we live faithfully. The Father of modern-day existentialism was a man named uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. He's a French existentialist, and this is one of his famous statements. He said this, man is useless passion. It is meaningless that we live and meaningless that we die. Man 
is useless passion. Understand this. If I and you, if you are made in the image of God, you are, no matter what you believe about the God who made you, you're worthy of respect and love. And if you are someone who's bowed their knee at the cross of Jesus and you've received the forgiveness of sin by the blood of Christ and you have, by virtue of faith, received the Holy Spirit, then you've been given gifts and responsibilities to love and adore the living God and to advance his kingdom. Therefore, right now counts forever. I want you to see that. Right now counts forever. I think Peter's trying to say, you know, they're going through difficult times. Persecution's coming. This is going to happen. But realize, even in the midst of hard times, there is a glorious day where you receive praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. If, if you and your neighbors and your coworkers and your children, your grandchildren, your friends, if you are just the impersonal plus time plus chance, a random molecules bumped, gases bumped, the world came into being. There's no divine architect who is the living God to whom we give an account, who has spoken. It's just there. It's just it's up to you, and you call the shots. You are the captain of your ship and the master of your faith. If it's all up to you, then guess what? You could say, man is useless passion. Three quick applications. Number one, because of the reality of Christ, we have purpose and dignity and a place to stand. Because there's a Trinitarian God in the first part of 1 Peter 1, who, is, who in his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance. We have an eternity. We have a day that will answer to God with joy. Because of that, we have purpose and dignity, and it gives us a place to stand. Now, I want you to hear this. Understand this. One of our biggest, I think, problems, and I get this from the Puritans, is that instead of preaching the gospel to ourselves, we listen to the spirit of the age. Instead of preaching the reality of the gospel, we listen to the spirit of the age. And, and that was long before... 24-7 media, obviously, as in the 1600s. I mean, so, so this is how it works. You, you, you go out and, and you hear negativity. You hear that things are going bad. And, and instead, of, instead of saying, stop, soul, self, I believe there is a living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who watches over me and not a hair can fall from my head without his knowledge. I trust him. Instead of saying that, we wallow in the spirit of the age that says everything's falling apart. Or, or, or you, you, you hear someone say, this person's very accomplished, this person's doing that, and you say, well, I, I am nothing to that. I, I'm nothing to that. You, you just say to yourself, you know, I am a child of God by the work of the cross. I have been given the Holy Spirit. I am a co-heir of the grace of God. I am his. And he rejoices over me with loud singing. And I'm glad for that. Psalm 3, the Lord, your God, is your shield around you. 
your glory and the lifter of your head. Lord, I believe you are my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins through Christ. So you preach the gospel to yourself instead of letting Fox or CNN or, or MSNBC or whatever determine the way you think and live. And that's why I personally don't listen to the news. I read newspapers and podcasts, whatever. But I, I just think we need to understand that. The world says you're, 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 you're old. You're, you're, you're confined to a wheelchair. The, the Lord says, I've given you this time to pray and to knock down the gates of the, the enemy and to advance the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. This is a fertile time for you. The, the, the world says that you're, you're not gifted. God says, I've called you. And listen, it is easy it's easy to slip into despair. It's easy to slip over into despair. And I have known Christians who have slipped into despair and have taken their lives. Historically, I can tell you the names of a number of believers in my own experience who've slipped over in despair. That's why this week I read The Great Sorrow an obituary of a young woman. I don't know about her faith, but she's 41 years old. She was, and she was an ER nurse in New York at one of the major hospitals. And in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, she spent hours and hours, days on end in the ER taking care of people. And she just emotionally and physically collapsed. And she took some time off last week to go to visit her parents. Her dad's a physician in northern Virginia. She gets home, and her father says she could never recover emotionally. And she said, I saw people die in the ambulance before we could even get them out to take care of them in the ER. She said it was horrible. And somewhere she slipped into despair, and she took her life. And, and I, I'm telling you that the spirit of this age much of which is being governed by the prince of darkness, is all about you being despairing, forlorn, feeling forsaken, and alone. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. If you're a child of God, you have every reason to say, Lord, you rejoice over me with singing. You quiet me with your love. It's amazing. And we have some some children here watching. Now, I've tried to keep it child-friendly most of the time, but I'm going to teach the children a song and a dance this morning, and they can do it later with their parents. It's something that, it's a song that's been around since 1835, I found out, and I've been to numerous marriages where they, they play this song at the reception, and it's, uh, it's a very difficult dance and song to learn, so please pay attention. It goes like this. You stick your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You stick your right foot in, and you shake it all about. And you do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around, and that's what it's all about. And you clap once. Now, that's a great marriage song. I have no idea what it means. But I used that silly song years and years ago in a sermon for some reason. I have no idea why. And in the aftermath of that sermon, someone sent me a bumper sticker that's still in my desk, and it's my second favorite bumper sticker. I'll tell you my favorite next week. But my second favorite bumper sticker, and it, it reads like this. It was on a yellow background with big black letters. It says, 
what if the hokey pokey is what it's all about? What if, what if that's it? What if the hokey pokey is what it's all about? In other words, what, what if there's no truth? What if we're all left to ourselves? What if it's just useless passion and silliness? And what if that's what it's all about? So thinking about that this weekend, I picked up the news on Monday and I saw where a well-known NFL quarterback and his supposedly well-known wife that I didn't know of seven years marriage with three children, age six, four, and two, were getting divorced because of, quote, irreconcilable differences. And went on and said, we have nothing but love and respect for one another. We're just two people who are growing apart, close quote. And I read that and I said, that is a hokey pokey statement. In other words, that's just silliness. And it comes from the pit and it smells like smoke and sulfur. It says that we have these three children and we really love and respect each other, but we're just growing apart. Therefore, we're going to end this relationship. In other words, we have no place to stand. It's just self-authentication, what's good for me. I need to feel good about this and so forth and so on. And I thought, that is one million light years from the biblical concept of marriage. And then, and then I thought about a song I heard about four weeks ago by a guy named Andrew Peterson. And we often sing his song, series of poets and a, and a Christian artist. And he, and he wrote a song about his marriage called Dancing in the Minefields, M-I-N-E, fields. I'll just read the first stanza. He says, well, I was 19 and you were 21 the year we got engaged. And everyone said we were much too young, but we did it anyway. We got rings for $40 each from a pawn shop down the street, and we took a leap. And that was 15 years later. Listen. And we went dancing in the minefields. We went sailing in the storms. And it was harder than we dreamed. But I believe that's what the promise is for. Boom. See, he says you know, marriage is hard. Any relationship is hard. But we were dancing. Sometimes it's in the minefields. We went sailing. But sometimes the glass sea becomes white caps. That's marriage. But we're making it and we're going forward because that's what the promise is for. In other words, he said, we're living on the basis of truth. We're living on the basis there is a great God who has called us to a living hope, to an inheritance, and he is watching over us for his glory and my good. And it gives us a place to stand and to stand with diligence. Number two, once you get this, I'll just say this, be prepared to be surprised on the great day of judgment. There are people, I think about this frequently, there are people that we listen to and applaud and read and vote for who we esteem. And there are people that we worship with and live with and keep the two-year-old class with and do meals for homeless with that we acknowledge, and they are the ones that should be esteemed. There's a little book called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's a small book. It's a wonderful book. And it's a story about taking a trip to the outskirts of heaven and hearing about the glories to come. And in the last part of the book, it says, 
I was in the outskirts of heaven being led by my angelic guide. And something happened. I remember, barely remember the beauty of her face. And I thought it was a person of great importance. And so I said, is it? He said, no, no. The angel guide said, it's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived at Golden's Green in London. She says, he says, well, she seems to be a person of incredible importance. And he says this, I, she is one of the great ones. You have heard that fame in this country and fame on the earth are two quite different things. And there were many young men and women accompanying her and throwing roses before her. And I said, are these her sons and her daughters? And she must have had a very large family, sir. And he said this, every young man or boy that met her became her son. Even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door, every girl that met her was her daughter. I said, but isn't that hard on her own parents? He said, the angel said, no, these are those, there are those who steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them all the more. And, I, and then I said, but what are all these animals, cats and two dozen cats and all these dogs? Well, I can't count them all. And birds and the horses. And he said, they are her beast." Did you keep a sort of zoo? I mean, is that a bit much? And then he said, no, every beast and bird that came near her had a place in her love. In her they became themselves, and now the abundance of life that she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. Just a statement about we will be incredibly surprised, and I'm thankful for so many people in my life who will never be on the society page in the newspaper, who, who will never be acclaimed and have buildings named after them, who prayed and loved and showed me the way of Christ, and on the great day of judgment, they will receive praise and glory and honor, and I will be one of the ones that will throw rose petals before them as we proclaim the goodness of Christ. Thirdly, understand this church. Right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. We're going to leave a legacy. Let me read 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 says, embrace your status as a pilgrim. Verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have. Therefore, I, I urge you as pilgrims and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Listen, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, the day of visitation, I believe here, refers to the day of their salvation. So, so when they're saved by the grace of Christ, they will say, man, this guy showed me the way of the Lord. This woman showed me the way of the Lord. Your life counts. You're leaving a legacy. There was a man named Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was a Catholic priest who had a 
parishioner kept troubling him, his parishioner would go to confession and he would say to you, Latimer, you're saved by the faith in the shed blood of Jesus alone. There's nothing you can do. And during the confession, he said, well, you're here to confess your sins. No, I'm here to tell you what Jesus has done. And so he kept talking to Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer kept thinking and he started reading and Hugh Latimer became someone who became a believer in Jesus <laughs> by grace alone, not through what he had to do. And so he became a gospel preacher. And in 1553, a woman came to power named Mary. She was known for the aphorism Bloody Mary because during her five-year reign, she put to death around 500 preachers of the gospel because they wouldn't bow the knee to the state church. There's a, a man named Nicholas Ridley who was one of those preachers. And Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were arrested in April of 1555, and they were in prison, and they were given chance after chance to recant and to repent of their preaching and to bow the knee to the state church. And they said no. And so on October the 15th, 1555, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were put on a cart and bound with ropes, and they were taken to a stake, and they were tied to the stake, and some gunpowder was placed around Nicholas Ridley's neck so that he could die quickly and not suffer. Nicholas Ridley was 43. Hugh Latimer was 57, 58. And as they were bound together and they prayed together, this is what Hugh Latimer said. And it is a glorious statement. He said, Master Ridley, be of good courage and play the man. And by God's grace, this day, in this country, we will light such a candle that in God's mercy, it will never be extinguished. They lit the flames. They died. For the next 400 years, the number one mission-sending country in the world was England. And I, I just thought, you know, this is, Hugh Latimer had no idea how his prayers would be answered. But he said, I want to live faithfully and leave a legacy. That should be our cry. Let's, let's wait for the Lord and look to him. There's a song that we're going to hear sung. It says, I will wait for you. I will wait for you through the storms and through the night. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your love is my delight. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of men and women who've gone before us. And Lord, I pray that the reality of Christ and his word would wean us from the applause of the world and the tantalizing purchases of the world and push us strongly to be men and women of courage and dignity. Thank you that praise and glory and honor will be visited upon faithful believers saved by the blood of Christ, but, we'll, but who will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for surrounding me with those people all these years. And I rejoice in your goodness. We wait for you. Come, Holy Spirit, fall upon us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.